0: Welcome to the WPC Sermon Podcast from Westminster
1: Presbyterian Church in Charlotte, North Carolina. This week's sermon is from Head Pastor Owen Stepp, titled, For the Sake of Others, It teaches us the importance of putting the needs of others above our own. To find more information on our worship services and live stream, check out
0: our website, Westminstercharlotte.org Now enjoy this week's message from Pastor Owen.
1: The reading from Scripture this morning is from Philippians 2. If then there is any encouragement in Christ, any consolation from love, any sharing in the Spirit, any compassion and sympathy, make my joy complete. Be of the same mind, having the same love, and being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility regard others as better than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to your own interests, but to the interests of others. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, to the glory of God the Father. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
0: This morning we're wrapping up our series on the new vision statement that our session discerned from God in the last few months, and we were talking about why it's important. Why do we need to do this? But one of the reasons that is so important for us is that we believe that God is giving us a vision for who he's calling us to be in this season of our life together in ministry. And vision is great because it always looks forward. Oftentimes in churches, our great temptation is to look back, right? Remember how great things used to be. Even in this emergence from the season of COVID, I think there's a great temptation among us to just get back to like it was. But I believe the gospel of Jesus always calls us to look forward to the people he is calling us to become and to be, that we might fulfill his mission as well. And for us, this vision statement that we feel like we've been given is that we are inviting people to life in Christ, live together for the sake of others. And one of our elders said it well when when she said, I think if we were kind of putting this in writing, the first part, inviting people to life in Christ, should be in like 36-point font, right? Bold letters, all capitals. And the other two lines should be in smaller font and italics underneath. Because the first part, inviting people to life in Christ, is what we're about. And the other two describe what that life looks like here and now at Westminster as we go forward and as we become a place that is more inviting, a place that is more together in our community, a place that is more looking to the needs of others and not to ourselves. Last week we talked about what that looked like to live the life together in community in Christ, Now today, I think the last piece might be the most challenging aspect of our vision. Life for the sake of others. Why would that be difficult? Because it pretty much goes against our nature as human beings and against every every message that we receive from the culture around us today. Nearly every message around us is about living our best life. How often does that include serving other people in the vision of life? What it primarily entails is thinking about me, my expression, my interest, my value, my happiness, my fulfillment, my experience, my identity, my dreams, my, me, my. But if we're going to truly experience the life of Christ together, it is necessary that we sacrifice our own self-interest for the interests of others. It is necessary that we sacrifice for others and for our Lord Jesus. Why? Because it's what Jesus did. I was in a seminar a couple of weeks ago, and the the speaker gave an illustration that I think is instructive here. He talked about two brothers named Jimmy and Johnny. Does anybody have brothers? Anybody at all? Who has sisters, brothers, anybody? So Jimmy and Johnny loved their Sunday morning or Saturday morning family tradition of every Saturday morning they ate pancakes. Mom would make pancakes every Saturday morning; they would gobble them up. But on one particular Saturday morning, they were fighting about who was going to get the first pancakes off the griddle. Anybody familiar with such a conversation? But as they were squabbling back and forth, their mother saw the teachable moment here. And she said, Jimmy, Johnny, what would Jesus do? And they each sheepishly agreed, Jesus would let his brother eat first, probably. At which time, Jimmy leaned over to Johnny and said, you can be Jesus this week. Putting the interests of others before ours is hard. It's difficult. It doesn't come naturally. And it's not encouraged in the environment around us today. Part of our understanding of sin and its effects is that it is worked out. It's corrupted the human nature. We who were created in the image of God that God called good stamped us with his image, have become corrupted such that we do not naturally turn outward toward God and toward our neighbors in love, but we turn inwardly and look to our own self-interest before we look to the interests of God and others. We see it all the way back in Genesis, in chapter 3, when Adam and Eve were told by the serpent, one thing, you can be like God. And so they walked away from God, and then they turned on each other. When Cain killed his brother Abel because he was jealous of the praise that God gave to his brother, we're very concerned about who gets the credit and from whom it might come. The distortion of the image in the human life is manifest in our self-obsession and self-absorption. And I believe that this is precisely the reason that when Jesus asked what was the greatest commandment, he gave two, love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Because in obedience to these commandments, it gives us a corrective against the drift that sin has corrupted into our lives. It elevates naturally our concern for God and others. So as disciples of Jesus, we do what He does. We emulate Him. We apprentice under Him and do what He does. Paul wrote this letter to the Philippian church. As I said last week, one of the things I love about the letters of the New Testament is they were all just trying to figure it out. They were all first-generation Christians that had come from some other religion, some other ethnic background that told them who they are. And now they're together in this church following Jesus. How do you do that? How do you overcome all the things that divide? How do you overcome the obstacles that prevent us from being together? But Paul provides a clue about how we should live together by looking at how Jesus lived with the people around him. He writes, be of the same mind, having the same love, and of one accord and of one mind do nothing from selfish ambition or vain conceit but in humility regard others as better than yourselves it's important to note that when paul wrote this that they should have the same mind i think and if you look through the uh, second chapter of philippians one of the things you'll see over and over again is be of the same mind be of the same mind be of the same mind what does he mean? That we have to agree on everything? Paul's not saying that we have to think the same thing about everything, but we have to think the same way. There's a difference between thinking the same thing and thinking the same way. And when you take these three injunctions together that he gives, that we be of the same mind by having the same love and being unified you start to understand what that way of thinking is that he's trying to impart to the believers at Philippi. It's not groupthink, lockstep, cult-like assent to ideas, but it is an agreement that the way we will think is in loving one another, in sacrificing for one another. Why? Because Jesus did that for us. When he came to earth and when he suffered and died, he was considering our interests and not his own. It was not a promotion for Jesus to become human and come to earth. And yet he did it. Paul writes to the church, if then there is any encouragement in Christ, any consolation from love, any sharing in the Spirit, make my joy complete, be of the same mind, have the same love, be in full accord and of one mind. Think the same way. Have the same love. Again, he's not saying that we all have to think the same things, but he is calling us to alignment in our commitments to love one another. And this is part of the renewing of our minds that he talks more about in places like Romans chapter 12. The way we think in Christ is the way of love and of unity in him. That's the positive side. The positive side to be of the same love, be united in him. And he also goes on to tell us what we're going to have to leave behind if we're going to be in Christ in that way. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility regard others as better than yourselves. Can you think of a more antithetical statement to where we are in 21st century America than to say, in humility regard others as better than yourselves? Let each of you look not to your own interests, but to the interests of others. This word in here, conceit, in the, in the original Greek, it's literally translated empty glory. So do nothing from a sense of empty glory. What's empty glory? It's glory that has its roots in pride and insecurity, in wanting what we want, when we want it, how we want it, and the fear that we will not get it. Our tendency... <coughs> is to glorify ourselves, to glorify our interests, our achievements. But Paul rightly points out that all of that is empty because it knows nothing of God or of loving our neighbors. It's truly an empty life—hear this—it's truly an empty life that seeks the praise of the people around us for our affirmation and for our identity. People who constantly seek the affirmation of all their choices and of all their credit, seeking the praise of others for how good or powerful or godly they may appear, are seeking empty glory, hollow prizes in the end. Whenever we live for our own sake, to fulfill our own desires, or piling up our achievements, What we're truly piling up is empty glory, meaningless victories along the way that are worthless in the end. And and when we look not to our own interest and toward the interest of others, we do one of those things that's my favorite image, one of my favorite images of what we are in the body of Christ. We make room for others, we make room for others. We make room at the Lord's table for whoever would come. We make room in worship for anyone who would seek and praise the Lord Jesus Christ. We make room in our studies and in our ministry and in our missions for all who would join. But sometimes that takes us putting ourselves out just a little bit. Whether it's our preferences for how we dress or how we sing or how we gather or when we gather or what that might look like, part of the humility of Jesus that we emulate is putting the interest of others before ourselves. I believe it can be a primary spiritual discipline in our time and place to make room for others. In our consumer culture, we are taught over and over again, get it how you want it. Whether it's at Burger King, right? Or the customization of your car or your house, get it exactly how you want it because that's what matters. Friends, in the body of Christ, there's something more important, imitating Jesus who put the interest of others before himself. And that's what Paul is pointing toward, toward these Christians that are trying to figure out how to live together, how to grow and follow Christ together. He's saying, look at Jesus. Look what he did. Take a clue from him. And that's what it means to be part of the body of Christ. We don't always think the same thing. We don't always have the same preferences but we can think the same way and share the same love as the body of Christ. Put others first for the sake of God inviting them to come to the table as well. For God inviting them to become part of his family as well. And the most critical question as usual that we come to is why. Why would I look to the interests of others before myself. Why would I think more highly of others than I think of myself? I'm a pretty good guy, right? I deserve to be fulfilled. Well, that's what Jesus did. Remember that he is the one who said he came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Remember that he is the one who left the throne and glory on high in perfect fellowship with the Father and the Spirit, the King of all kings above all the cosmos, and he descended to become human for us in our salvation to give his life. Do we understand what Jesus has done for us? Have we lingered with that? Because again, it came to me just like last week that if we're inviting people to life in Christ that is for the sake of others, have we first experienced what Jesus did for us? And really taken that in. Because he's not just saying, go there and be good, be nice to people because you're supposed to be nice. Jesus is saying, go and love and serve those others because I have first loved and served you. Have we experienced that in our own lives? Have you thought about what Jesus recently did for us on the cross and in that empty tomb? Any love that we have to put the interests of others before ourselves comes from the one who has first loved us and shown us the way. Paul goes on to kind of tease out what this looks like when he writes down what might be, according to scholars, the earliest hymn in the Christian tradition that we have in writing. That's in Philippians 2 right here. He writes let them be, let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus think the same way as Jesus Though he was in the form of God did not regard equality with God something to be grasped something to be clutched or exploited but he emptied himself taking on the form of a servant being born in human likeness being found in human form he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even death on the cross." Paul turns to this hymn to illustrate this is the one that we're following. This is the one who we call Lord. I think we're supposed to live like he did, think like he thought. He who emptied himself of all the glory of heaven and became human for us and for our salvation. He who laid down his life on that cross is the one who calls us to do likewise. He emptied himself. Jesus turned the logic of empty glory on its head and saying, any glory I have, I pour it out. I empty it out of my own accord. It was him humbling himself, taking on the form of a servant to be born in human likeness. And in the progression of this hymn, it says he humbled himself even to the point of death, even death on a cross, for emphasis on what Jesus did and how he did it. With each phrase, we hear and fear the greater understanding of the depths to which Jesus would go for us. He laid it all down, but that is not the end of the story. The suffering and death of Jesus is not the end of the story, is it? And the hymn goes on to say, Therefore God also highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. When we humble ourselves as Jesus did, we give God the opportunity to raise us up. Otherwise, it's other, in other places it says, humble yourself in the sight of the Lord that he may lift you up in due time. So whose praise is it that we are looking for, friends? Is it our own, our own stamp of affirmation on our own lives that says, I have been successful, I have been glorious in my life? the success of our parents or our friends, everybody looking at us and saying, wow, how godly she is. How amazing he is. Is that what we're looking for? Or are we indeed waiting for our Lord on that day when our strength is fading? When the end draws near and our time has come, do we anticipate seeing our Lord and really waiting for him to be the one? If everybody else misses it do we await the word of Jesus to say well done my good and faithful servant you walked in my way you looked to the interests of others before yourself well done that's a vision for our lives individually and together. For us as a church, we are called to make room for one another in the body of Christ, to make room for brothers and sisters who are around us even today in this sanctuary, that they may come closer to the table of God. We are likewise called to make room for those who are not here, When we make our decisions, we're not just thinking about what we that are already in the house here like or what we think, but how is it that we might invite others to become a part of the family of God, to have true life in Christ as well? And when we forget what that might look like, we look again to this table to which we are invited by our Lord Jesus Christ. And I say, as I often do, that this is not a Westminster table and it's not a Presbyterian table. This is the Lord's table. And he is the one who invites everybody who's put their faith in him to come, to receive his body that he allowed to be broken for us, to receive his blood that he allowed to be poured out for us, to literally take his life so that we might live. It is the beauty of the invitation to follow Jesus and to become part of the family of God. Thank you for joining us for this week's message from Pastor Owen. If you'd like to find out
1: more about our church or view a video of the full service, visit our website at westminstercharlotte.org. We look forward to seeing you soon.